Hello everybody, it's Brian Janikowski. It's Friday, August the 17th. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Takenverts, and let's get started with this week's market chat. So, uh, Christian, this <laughs> week we had some economic data. We saw that consumer confidence fell. But you wrote in the blog that uh, you don't think that it's tied to claims and employment. It's more tied uh, to wages. And we have continued to see this anemic wage growth. Um, what does this say, um, if, if wages don't pick up, what does this mean for the economy, um, consumer spending, and, and growth overall? I, I think it, it's been an ongoing debate for a number of years now that, that, that wages have been very sticky and have really not moved as much as the growth or employment numbers would suggest. Now, there's plenty of reasons why people think this is happening. Some of it is as extreme that there are big uh, industries and companies which are non-competitive and they don't have to compete on wages very much. Others that it's demographics. So, you know, if I, if I retire, I'm 60 years old, and I'm replaced by someone who's 35 years old, do the same job for less wages. So uh, that will show up as, uh, you know, no change or reduction even in, in wages. Uh, some that people are trading off wages for other benefits like health care or uh, vacation or flexibility. But regardless of the reason for it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of wage growth in the economy. And I and I think that, you know, with inflation, headline inflation anyway, ticking up a little bit, that's just going to put a damper on consumer growth. And, uh, you know, consumer spending is still 70% of GDP. Last quarter, uh, you know, GDP was up 4%. We all heard and knew about that. Consumer spending, cons cons uh, the consumer side of it was 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 pretty strong, but I just don't see wages as being able to sustain that kind of growth. The only way it can retain that kind of growth is if there's a big uptick in savings. Uh, and there was a, um, a, a sort of recalculation of the savings number in the last national account statistics, and they did seem that savings was probably higher than first recorded, but I think that that extra savings is skewed very much towards a group, part of the economy, which doesn't have a high propensity to spend. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's a problem. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a continued damper unless uh, companies suddenly turn around and start passing on uh, profit growth in the form of wage growth, but they haven't done that for the last 10 years, and I don't think they're about to start now. So can we firmly say that, um, that the, the wage growth that was um, purported to come along or that would, would have come along and argued by some from the tax cut, um, the corporate tax cut, it has not materialized and is likely not to materialize. I think on the first part of your question, it, it hasn't. Um, and that's even trying to account for special bonuses and uh, sign-on bonuses, for example, or retention bonuses or performance bonuses, which don't typically show up very well in the wage numbers. But I think um, I, I just don't see that there's a lot of pressure for companies to kind of follow through uh, on wages. So it's very difficult to see how this is going to uh, break out. And uh, so I think we'll, you know, we'll see a slowdown in the economy just because it's running beyond its, uh, beyond its uh, current capacity. How do we reconcile this anemic wage growth with these, the strong retail sales that we've been seeing? Ah, that was a bit of a puzzle. Uh, the retail sales were were strong, and they were strong in, because um, I think one of the strongest sectors was uh, food services, which is essentially um, uh, McDonald's and Burger King and a lot of stuff like that. So, um, 
it's sometimes I'll sort of do just just go back and say is month to month numbers can be noisy and just you know statistical aberration and there'll be a reversion to a uh, to a mean but um, it and 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 some of it's seasonal and they're not always uh, caught you know they're always adjusting for the seasonals very well so yeah retail sales were were good now housing wasn't particularly good and and new housing starts were were, were low and industrial production wasn't wasn't particularly good so. Yeah, it's difficult to explain in the short term. And then we saw, you know, Walmart have some very good earnings. Now, they were reporting as of June 30th, uh, the stock was up 9%. So, um, you know, there's some probably some, some some better numbers, you know, coming through there. But yeah, that's certainly one to keep keep an eye on. But it's difficult to see retail sales being able to sustain that kind of growth. Let's get to emerging markets. Turkey, the, the, the main story of this week. And uh, you wrote in the blog this week that really in these times, Erdogan uh, and the Turkish government is is really doing quite quite the opposite of what they yeah. should be doing. And can you tell? Can you can you let the audience know you know what they are doing and and generally what other countries in the past have done um, in this same sort of situation? Sure. Well, normally if an emerging market economy runs into problems, it's going to be some form of inflation or attack on its currency. So the, the playbook is essentially to increase domestic interest rates, that's the role of the central bank, to defend the currency. And we've seen at times like the Mexican peso or the Argentinian uh, currency you know, have gone up to overnight rates of 100%. So that's intended to blow off the speculators as quickly as possible. Um, secondly, some sort of uh, credit or fiscal policy is a change. So fiscal policy could be a reduction in government spending, it could be a postponement of pension increases, a retirement, no increase in the retirement retirement age, um, or it could be a change on bank borrowing, like, you know, higher uh, loan-to-value ratios, a number of things, but that, that could be done to sort of show that they're trying to take some of the uh, inflation sort of speculative edge off the economy. And then thirdly, there's usually some sort of external package, usually with the IMF or some sort of borrowing agreement with a with a major creditor where you know the confidence is restored and the money is sent in. Now in happening in Turkey, none of these things are happening. So, you know, most people would have expected a central bank to increase rates. And actually they did this. Turkey did this pretty well back in two thousand and two, uh, and sort of stemmed a uh, you know, a big a big banking crisis. Um but they're not doing it this time, and uh, and at the same time, Turkey imposed some tariffs on American uh, imports, which might seem like a you know a, a a reasonable thing to do given the U.S. tariffs on steel. But that's just going to exacerbate the inflation problem, um, and you know, you've got to pick your fights. And I'm not sure that you know that the picking a fight with the U.S. right now is probably the best thing, uh, and also you know the they've they've essentially said that, well, we'll find new allies. So you go and find Russia or Qatar, you know, both of whom have sanctions against them with the U.S. right now. So this can't last. I mean, something's going to, you know, there's going to be more and more pressure building up in Turkey, I think. And uh, it, it's not it's not quite finished yet. Um, but uh, so, so, so Turkey is not doing what they're meant to do. <laughs> do we, and the big, I mean, the, the big question is, does this lead to contagion? Well, yeah, I, I think that there's contagion that you can measure and there's contagion by uh, by reputation. So by contagion that you can measure, you know, we know that there are some, 
There are some Spanish and Italian banks. Banco Bilbao, for example, has a pretty big loan portfolio out to Turkish uh, businesses. Um, and so they're going to impaired and you'll see that you'll see some um, some uh, downturn in, in some European banks. And then there's contagion where people think, okay, well, who's next? Who looks like Turkey? Who's got a problem with their deficit? Who's got a problem with inflation? Who's got a problem with their currency and not doing a lot about it? And, you know, South Africa, you know, comes very quickly to mind on that. Uh, and then as it spreads out further than that, people say, okay, okay, well, what else? Who's, you know, what... What other countries, what other sectors are leveraged? And all, you know, China then comes to mind. So it's kind of that, that's what happens. And then we have to kind of see if there are kind of speculative attacks on some of these countries. But I think a lot of it is coming back to the trade talks. And if there is any progress on the trade, uh, that will help enormously. But, but there's no doubt about it. We're in a, in, a, in a rather tricky time for emerging markets. I would also say that this is August. There's a lot of people in European and US markets away from their desks right now. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll really get a better picture of this is, if this is going to last, uh, you know, back in, back in September. But as, as we discussed before, that's one reason why we like this protection on the emerging markets. Mm -hmm. um, you also wrote about Fidelity launching a new 0%, uh, that means 0% uh, fees, uh, ETF. And Yes, that sounds great, but before people run out and flock to this, this ETF, um, can you talk a little bit about some of the other things to consider in an ETF when selecting an ETF besides fees and why they're yeah. important? I think the most important one is what index is the ETF uh, tracking, because if it's the wrong index, it doesn't really matter whether it's at 0% or 5 basis points or 20 it's going to be tracking something which is not performing as well as a better constructed index. And we've talked before about how in the small cap world, there's a very, very big divergence between the Russell 2000, a pretty widely known, commonly used small cap index, and the S&P 600, which has a huge quality bias against it. And that outperformance is, you know, we're not talking one or two percent, we're talking tens of percents, you know, over, over uh, you know, five or ten year period. So it's a very significant, uh, you know, outperformance. So I think looking at what the index that the ETF is tracking is really important. Now, Fidelity is a fine company for sure. Um, but in this case, they have constructed their own index. So it's a Fidelity all cap US index. And, uh, you know, I personally would rather have an ETF where the advisor and the index provider are separate, you know, legally separate, you know, relationally separate in every way. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a good thing. I think anything which drives costs lower is good. But there's also a point where the returns are de minimis. I mean, we're already, you know, at 20, 10, five basis points. We're talking very low numbers. We're talking five, 10, $20 per $10,000. So, you know, at some point, a price war which takes it from $3 to $2 is, is really not that important. But, uh, but generally, we're, you know, we're seeing uh, low-cost ETFs. We're in that world, and I think this is you know, one next step for a, for a company, Fidelity, which can kind of ha has a lot of its captive, a captive uh, audience for its ETF through its 401k and brokerage uh, businesses. Thank you very much, Christian. We also um, look out for the Jackson Hole Symposium next week, um, and we will be commenting on that. Thank you very much.
Thank you, everybody. And here's our disclosure. Please note this discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research, investment process, representative investments, investment strategy at the day of this commentary is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. So for general information purposes only, references to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The security is mentioned in this commentary, only several of the successful as unsuccessful attempt investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Info we deem reliable for sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy of our, or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results.